The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. just pray right now, Father, for your Holy Spirit to come. Touch those that are hurting, Lord God, those going through tough times. Lord, we put our eyes on you. We know that, Lord, you are able, Father, to move mountains. Lord, we just know that you're our present help in times of trouble. that you never changed, you stayed the same, that you are constant, that your love is near, that your presence is near, God. Lord, we yield to you, God, and ask, send your comforter, Lord, send your comforter to be about your people, Lord, during this time. Lord, we want to feel your embrace, your presence, and that your glory would be our rear guard. Your glory would be our rear Lord, we rest in your presence and the government will be upon your shoulders and your name will be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace. God, you are our Prince of Peace. Lord, we put peace about our shoes, God, that we can walk forward. Lord, I pray that every piece of the armor would be fully affixed so that we could stand strong, Lord. We could stand strong. With you living in us, greater is you living in us than he that is in the world, God. We love you, Lord. Oh, Father, we love you. We need you, Lord. Would you send revival to your people? In this hour, in this desperate land, in this desperate time, Lord, we need more of you. We need an increase of your presence in our lives, Lord. We need an increase of your power. Oh, God, we thirst for you. Oh, God, we long for you. Oh, God, we need you. Yes, and here, even in these moments, Lord, into your hands we commit these songs, these words, these chords, Lord, that you would use and that you would so animate and bring to life, bring to wholeness, bring to fullness people as a result of our service to you, Lord. We desire, Lord, that you would change us, that you would rearrange the priorities of our lives, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And then allow you, Lord, to move in whatever way and in whatever direction you would choose. Let your spirit blow over this land, that you would bring revival to the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would bring up dry bones. And Lord, that you would bring life where there is no life. That you would bring peace where there is strife. Oh Lord, let us come and adore you. For you are greatly to be praised. Father, we come before you today to seek your face, to do your will. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God that shows mercy to those that call upon you in truth. Your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes what you send it forth to. And we need that, Lord. Lord, even in your word, as we're given instruction, that your people that are called by your name, in every church, in every denomination, that calls themselves by your name, Lord, that we would turn from our wicked ways, that we would seek your face yes. with all of our heart, that you would come and heal our land. And God, we need healing. We pray for your mercy, Lord. We pray for your loving kindness, that we would recognize your mighty hand, O God. Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up in our government, that you would be lifted up in our schools, that you would be lifted up in our communities, that you would be lifted up in every branch of our government, Lord, that the name of Jesus Christ be exalted. 
that you would arise, Lord, and the enemy be scattered. In truth, O God, revive us, Father. Send your spirit upon our land again. Bring true revival, regenerating of hearts and minds. Forgive us of our complacency. Forgive us that we've been lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Forgive us, Father, that we've forsaken the way of truth in so many ways in our lives and in this country, God. Cleanse us of our unrighteousness, Lord. Purge our iniquity, O God, by the blood of Jesus today, Father. Bring true revival to the families. Marriages, O God, bring healing. Families, Lord God, bring healing. Our health, Lord, bring healing. Our our mental health, Lord, bring healing. In every way, O God, as we look to you in your mercy and in your grace, Father. We pray for revival in our land, O God. Purge the wickedness from among us, O God. Let not the wicked rule over us, but let the righteous be exalted. Those that hold to your word, those that hold to your truth, those that are unmovable, O God, we just thank you and we give you praise for your mercy toward us. Let it be extended, O God, that Christ would be lifted up again in our nation, O God, in our homes, in our families. Oh God, that we would love you and love your righteousness and love your truth. Have mercy, oh God, and bring healing to our land, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, even according to your word, oh God, we thank you. Hallelujah, Lord. Send revival down, send revival down, send revival down, down into this place. Send revival down, send revival down, send revival down, down into this place. Lord, send it down. We need you, Lord. Send it down. Lord, send it down. Send revival down. Send revival down, send revival down, down into this place. The message today is entitled, At the Crossroad of Suffering. At the Crossroad of Suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we stand today at the crossroad of suffering as we look at the cross. Jesus, you rose from that grave. But now you've asked that we follow you through that grave. And very few will do that. Would you come with great power now? And use the humble words that I will speak to touch the deepest part of our hearts. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. It takes great courage to be a Christian. It is without a doubt the most difficult endeavor a man or woman can pursue. There are many cheap trinkets called Christianity today hanging on every tree. Not the real McCoy. I was struck by these words in Joshua. 
the book of Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. Be strong and very courageous. I've always interpreted that be strong and very courageous to be in reference to the task that was before him to go against the great armies of Cana land. But contextually, that's not what's being spoken of. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So he's saying, be strong and courageous so that you will obey me. So that you will do what I've asked you to do. It's not be strong and courageous so you can conquer the armies of Canaan. He's saying, of course you will take the, the land because I've sent you. If you obey what I've asked you to obey. Now, the great battle that every man and every woman faces is the battle you face from within your own heart. What will you do with the wickedness of your own heart? How will you deal with the lust that rises up in your spirit? That's why he's saying to Joshua, be strong and very courageous, because you have a war on the inside that is much more painful than the war on the outside. Do you remember the story of of Ruth and Naomi? Naomi had gone to the land of Moab, Moab meaning the land of death. She and her husband and two sons. And once arriving in Moab because there was no food, there was a famine in Bethlehem. And while there... Her husband grew sick and died. And then her two sons grew sick and died. And so now Naomi is living in the land of Moab. And the men of her family have all died. And she is left alone, except she has two daughter-in-laws. And then she hears that there is bread once more in Bethlehem. And she determines to go back home. And so she sets out to head back home. Orpha travels part way with her. And then when she reaches the border of her land, Naomi says to her and to Ruth, why don't you go back to your parents' homes? Your parents will be able to find another husband for you. You can live a good life. Your life is not over because your husbands died, your widows. Another man would love to have you. Another man will provide for you. And Orpha weeps and then kisses her mother-in-law and then turns and goes back home. Ruth, on the other hand, said, don't entreat me to leave you. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And she proceeded to go to leave her nation, to leave her country, and to go into a place that she'd never been before. And God rewarded her with an incredible husband by the name of Boaz. And she is in the direct line of Jesus Christ. Do you think had Orpha known, she might have risked continuing, but she threw it all over because it was too hard. This battle against the inward sin of our hearts is not an easy battle. 
It is one that requires great courage because suffering will come. To be a Christian is literally to be engaged in a bloody warfare. Now, you can live in America a quite comfortable life. You can earn money. You can take care of gaining whatever property you would like, whatever car you would like, whatever relationships you would like, and you can live a fairly normal life yet in America. But as you grow older, you will see the sickness of your body come, and finally, you will pass like all others. The question is, will you engage in the battle against the powers of darkness that will come at you with every possible weapon to destroy your confidence in God, to destroy your trust in the blood of Jesus, to destroy you with depression and fear and anxiety. The power of Satan will come knowing what your weak points are, and he will attack you like a ferocious beast. Do you have the courage to stand and to fight? Or will you run? Jesus introduces the story of Nicodemus in the third chapter of the book of John. I am going to go today to the story of Nicodemus (coughs) instead of to the cross. Because these are issues you have to understand before you get to the cross. The prelude to the third chapter is found in the second chapter. Verse 23. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. And so the story of Nicodemus is introduced by Jesus saying, I will not entrust myself to you. Because I know what is in a man's heart. Will Jesus entrust himself to you? Have you engaged in the battle in such a manner that that God himself will entrust himself to your inner soul? There was a man by the name of Nicodemus. And by the way, the word Nicodemus means victor or conqueror. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus makes a declarative statement. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Remember the prelude. I will not entrust myself with you because I know what's in you. And now he says to Nicodemus, I will not entrust myself to you unless you are born from above. He's not going to entrust himself to someone because they've worked hard on their life. Or because they are a nice person. Or because they have money, power, and position. Jesus is only going to trust himself with a person who has been born from above. That is, a person who has the divine nature within them and no longer possesses the old nature of wickedness and darkness. So when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he was saying, you are going to have to engage in the battle 
against your flesh, you're going to have to die. And you're going to have to be born from above of the heavenly light. Nicodemus asks the natural flesh question. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus cannot understand what's being said. It is utterly strange to him. He's saying, what are you talking about? I have to be born again? Which of you, which of us, would have understood what Jesus was saying? Jesus answered in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now if you look, keep your finger there in Titus, the third chapter, I'll begin with verse 5. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There are two parts to atonement. There is the washing by the blood, and there is the renewal by the Holy Spirit. To be born from above is a two-step process. It is to be washed And it is to be sanctified, to be renewed, to be regenerated. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been made righteous by his grace, We became heirs, having the hope of eternal life. If you look at John, the third chapter, verse 7, he says, You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born from above. If your Bible says, again, it's a poor translation. My NIV says, again. It's very clear when you look at the Greek, it's not born again in the likeness of Adam. It's born again in the likeness of God. It's born from above. It says the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So when you are born from above, you are born in the Spirit of God, and now your daily behavior will be to the non-Christian like wind blowing, and they won't understand why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying. They will not understand who you are. There will be a total change that will take place in your life. Your values will not be the same. You will no longer expend your energy doing the same old, same old things. You will now be a new person in Christ Jesus. Your focus will not be on how to make money. Your focus will not be on how to gain power and prestige. Your focus will not be on anything of this world. Your focus will be on Jesus Christ. Your eyes will be on Jesus and on him alone. Nicodemus again says, how can this be? And Jesus rebukes him, saying, you're a teacher in Israel, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is telling us what he's going to go through and why he's going to go through it. Now let's go back and review something in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. In Leviticus, the 16th chapter, we have a description of the most sacred day of the Jewish people in the Old, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And that was the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, Aaron would take a bull and he would sacrifice it. And he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He would take the blood of the bull because that bull was the blood that was covering over his sin. And then he would take two goats to represent what Jesus Christ did at the cross. One was called the Lord's goat. Let me read it for you. Verse 15. He shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood, some of the goat's blood, and put it on the horns of the altar. Verse 19 He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So in atonement, you again are seeing two goats, two parts of Christ. He was fully man, and he was fully God. It took both to complete the atonement. The two are held Together, mysteriously, in Christ, fully God and fully man. God could not die for us. And man could not remove our sins from us. So the first goat represents Jesus, the man who died On that cross. And by the blood he shed. He washed us and made us clean. Provisionally. Please understand that on the cross. Jesus made. Provision with. Unconditional love. He poured out his blood on that cross. As a man. Not as God. Because God cannot die. So on the cross, he made unconditional provision for every man and every woman who would begin to engage in the task of walking before the Lord God of heaven, clean, washed, made whole. The second goat, also representing Jesus, but this time the second goat representing the divine side of Jesus. Let me read it for you. Verse 20, Leviticus 16, verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head 
He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. That goat is translated in the modern English as the scapegoat. The word is actually azalea or azale. If you remember in the book of Enoch, pages 6 and 7, Azael is the leader of the fallen angels as he teaches all unrighteousness on the earth. He taught men the practice of warfare. Because of his wickedness, he is dismissed. Azael means dismissed. Azael literally means Departure, separation. In Ezekiel, I'm sorry, in the book of Enoch, it says, Bind Azael hand and foot and cast him into the darkness or the abyss. Cover his face that he may not see light. And on the day of great judgment, he shall be cast into the fire and heal the earth which the angels have corrupted. So this is the word that is used. It's a zeal. See, the second goat is not the atonement goat. The first goat is the atonement goat. The first goat is the one who sheds his blood. The second goat is the one The divine nature of Jesus Christ, who now in the heavenly realm, removes all sin from our lives. He carries our sin away. He removes it from us. He separates us from our sin. The means of atonement by the blood of Jesus but the benefits of the atonement are the removal of all sin now to begin to get a hold of this let's go back to John the third chapter verse 16 for God So loved the world. God chose to love you. God does not choose to punish you. He does not choose to destroy you. He does not choose to bring suffering upon you. He loved you. He loved the world. He loves the world today. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. So please understand, we have two initiatives that are being shown by God. One, God loved. And two, God gave. God does both for us. He loves us and he gave. His only one of a kind son. He gave his only one of a kind son. And that son was what was birthed out of a maiden who was a virgin. Where the father gave his son to be born of Mary. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God loved and God gave The means by which a door could be opened out of this world of darkness into the light of eternity. Verse 17 is to me as important or more important than verse 16. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Today, if you're feeling condemnation in your heart, it's not because Jesus put it there. It's because of your sin and the edge that Satan has on your heart to trouble you. And it means it's time for you to turn fully to Jesus. Whoever believes in him shall not be condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. How do we, how do we begin to apprehend what I'm trying to say to you in very simple words? That all of the descendants of Adam are condemned to die. The punishment is already in place for you. All of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve are going to die. You have one opportunity to escape that judgment of death on your life. And that is by what God said, I love you. And by what God did, when he gave his only begotten son to open a portal for us in time and space and history to allow us to depart from the realm of darkness. Now, what makes this so stunningly difficult is that Satan has his cohorts at the entrance into salvation with every intention of killing you before you enter. John Bunyan speaks about this in Pilgrim's Progress, where he goes to the house of the interpreter, and the house of the interpreter shows him this grand building, this castle. Inside is light and glory. They're having a celebration. But on the outside, men stand with swords and spears and shields to prevent anyone from entering. And then beyond them, there is a table. And at that table, people are invited to come and sign up. And then take whatever weapons they choose and fight their way through into the place of beauty and rest. This is why it requires great courage. It requires great courage to, in the face of every onslaught that Satan brings against us, every judgment he brings against us, every word of condemnation he brings against us, every word of unbelief that he tries to pump into our hearts, to say, I will not be turned back from following Jesus. And I will fight until I die to enter into that grand place called the celestial city or heaven. And I will not turn aside to the left or to the right. With the understanding that everyone who does not fight to get through into the eternal dwelling will be under a sentence of death in this world. You understand now why I would be tempted to entitle this sermon today, Heaven is Not for Cowards. Heaven is not for cowards. It's a bloody battle. And we fight financial assault. We fight physical assault. We fight the assault of those who call themselves friends. We fight against the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I mean, one man is not tempted by money. He's tempted by beautiful women. But another man is not tempted by beautiful women at all. He has a wife and he's happy and he's got everything he wants. All he sees is he wants money. Satan knows the exact suit of clothing to manufacture for us that will be most appealing to the carnal nature of our heart. He knows 
the words we speak, the sighs he hears them. If only, if only I had, if only things could be different, if only this financial burden were not on my, if if only he hears those sighs. And then he knows to increase the pressure on that point. I have found time after time in my walk with Jesus that as I take that weak point of my character and I flaunt it in Satan's face and say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am the victor. So Satan, take your best shot. I'm going through. He backs off. He's not interested. Basically. The devil is a coward. He's a bully. And as long as you're willing to give in to that bully, he's happy to bully you. But when you stand in the blood of Jesus Christ and you say, I will not back up. I am going to follow Jesus. He pulls off. The word says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you don't resist the devil, he will continue to increase his attack against you until finally you give in and he sweeps you away. Heaven is not for cowards. He will bring physical affliction on your body. He will threaten you with death. He will entice you with the little trinkets and toys that he has in his arsenal. Probably the most tempting morsel he has in all of his arsenal is he says to you, you want to be your own person, don't you? You want to be in charge of your own life, don't you? After all, you're smart. You know what you're doing. And we say, of course I want to be in charge of my own life. You don't want to belong to that Jesus, do you? He's going to make you miserable. Once you get to heaven, you'll be more miserable than you were here. I mean, what's Jesus have to offer you? Look what I can give you. I can give you everything right here. You want money? Great, I'll give it to you. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Take what you want. But just don't believe the lies of this man, Jesus, who says he wants your happiness and he loves you. He doesn't love you and he doesn't want your happiness. These lies come straight out of the pit of hell. But they seem quite effective against God's children. You know, God doesn't seem to be doing his part because nothing seems to be changing. So I guess I better go do something to make it change. I don't think so. The gateway to suffering comes as we face the cross of Jesus Christ and have to come to a decision. Am I going to follow this man, Jesus? When he said, come and follow me, he was saying, will you lay down your pride? Will you lay down your life? Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them. And baptized. There have always been men and women. Who were willing. To finally come to an end of themselves. And say. I will follow Jesus. It's a matter of leaving the darkness. And coming into the light. That darkness could be. For you guys, especially pornography. 
or video games, violence, the love of money. Sexual uncleanness. Or it could be, for some of you, hopelessness, despair, depression, fear. The devil is like a fisherman. If one lure doesn't get you, he'll break out another lure. All he cares is that you be caught in the busyness of this age or in the hopelessness of your heart and you stop fighting him. And you say, it's hopeless, I can't do it. Look what's happening to my body. Look what's happening to me. Somewhere, don't I have to begin to be concerned about my own welfare? No, our only concern is, are we following Jesus? I won't ask you today, but you already know the answer to the question. Are you walking in darkness today? Are you walking in the light? Have you laid your life down? And are you in full battle gear, courageous? Strong, saying, I will follow Jesus, and I will go all the way through this battle, and I will lay down my pride and my arrogance, my self-sufficiency, and what I think I want, and I will follow Jesus. You see, we can sing and shout and dance and spit, and Jesus is risen. I think it's awesome that Jesus has risen. But my question is, have you risen? Have you risen from the death of sin? Have you been made righteous? Have you been washed and made clean? Are you pure today in this house? Have you set your heart on heaven? Or are you in the midst of the battle? Will Jesus receive you? Have you been born from above? Only you can answer. Don't be quick to answer. Almighty God, you are the Lord. We have set our hearts on heaven. We will not be turned back. The great desire of my heart is to see a people born from above who blow with the wind at the call of the Spirit, no longer rational or reasonable in this world, but utterly sold out. Lord, pride holds many. Self-sufficiency and arrogance, the lust of the flesh. Lord, we know who the enemy is and we know what the battle is. I'm asking now for the tree in the name of Jesus. I'm asking, Lord, that every man and woman in this house could be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that every man and every woman could have their sins lifted up and carried away. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of Pilgrim's Progress. It's brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. You can write to us at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or you can visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely? 
and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion my constant friend is he his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me I sing because I'm happy yes I sing because I'm free for his eye is on the sparrow and I watches over me His eye is on the sparrow And I know He watches I know He's watching over me Watching over me And I sing Because I'm happy Oh Lord, you know I sing And I know he's watching over me. His eye is on the sparrow. I know he's watching over me. watching over me.